This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This is the Cork Today replay on C103. And a very good Thursday morning to you as we welcome you along to the programme. Uh, looking forward to your company until one o'clock today. John Paul's taking your calls at 1850-333-103. And I'm delighted to report for people if in the Mallow area or people who come through the Mallow area uh, that the northbound lane of Mallow Bridge reopened this morning. We were told it would reopen at eight o'clock and it did reopen and I made doubly sure it reopened by heading down there at about ten past eight this morning. I said I'll go down there, see what's going on, see if the bridge is open and it was open. So that was good news. First thing I noticed was the lights sequencing didn't seem to be in sync though. There seemed to be a bit of confusion with people going, do I go, do I stop, what way am I going? Am I breaking this red light? And then the also frustration thing was the signs are still in place. Well they certainly were this morning after eight saying that the bridge was closed. Now I'm assuming Council workers are out this morning removing all those signs and the diversion signs because that will just cause confusion for some people. But anyway, I went over the bridge. That was fine. Uh, We know now the boardwalk isn't going to be in place until at least next year. So it'll be, I don't know if it's going to be early 2020, mid 2020, but it certainly is going to be uh, next year. So people are still walking over the actual physical bridge uh, itself. Anyway, I got over the bridge and I decided I'd go down the park road and I'd swing back down the main street so I could get a good look at the bridge and take a good look at all the work that had been done. Stupid, stupid move. I ended up getting caught in a backlog of traffic on the main street. I must have sat there for about 20 minutes. I ended up ringing John Paul <laughs> saying, I am on my way, but I'm just going to be later than normal uh, because it was, it was, to, it, it was to do with the sequencing of the lights, but it was also to do with that annoying habit of people going into the yellow box and blocking up the yellow box so that when the lights changed, and your flow of traffic was able to go. You couldn't go anywhere because the yellow box was full. When it came to, I ended up right at the traffic lights on a red light. Then it went green, but there was a big truck in front of me. So when my light went green, I wasn't able to move. So that, that's just very frustrating. And then by the time I got back over the bridge again, it appeared as if they'd put the lights onto flashing amber. So I'm assuming they're going to have to tweak the lights and work around the lights, even though to me, put them back to the way they were. Uh, but just to let people know, the northbound lane has reopened 
But certainly this morning during that rush hour and the children going to school, there was some delays, more delays than normal. I don't know because I don't go over the bridge every morning coming to work. I'm in the opposite direction. I just uh, did it did it this morning just to see was the bridge reopened. John has already been on saying, who is managing this mess? Is it Cork County Council? John is accusing it all of being very amateur. Opening the bridge opening the bridge with the light sequencing not working properly and all the diversion signs still in place. Utter and complete nonsense, says uh, John. So, and I could sense this morning when I was stuck in the traffic, you know the way you're looking at people and you can see anger and frustration building with people. I just did my breathing and said nothing I could do. Wasn't going to get anywhere. Any, I wasn't getting anywhere anyway quicker by losing my cool. So I just relaxed and listened to the radio and it was fine and I eventually got there. But if you're doing that every morning, it's just, yeah, I can, I, I can, I can see why people lose their cool and I can understand a little bit of road rage. But move away from the yellow box, please. Only go into the yellow box if your exit is clear. It's, isn't it one of the first things that we learn when we start learning how to drive. It's one of, it clearly is one of the first things I remember my driving instructor uh, telling me within the first 10 minutes of my first driving lesson, we approached the yellow box and he said to me, you know, stay here. You don't go across until your exit is free. But I don't know. I don't know what it is about some yellow boxes in some areas. People are fantastic about it. They'll never cross it. But then in some areas, it's just as if I'm sure everybody ignores it but because everybody's ignoring it I'll, ign- I'll ignore it too Caroline is from Mallow she said I commute from Turner's Cross to Mallow uh, every day and around the Elysian on Albert Road people drive into the yellow box it causes chaos in all directions it causes delay coming from every angle at that junction why do people feel it's okay to drive into a yellow box it causes anger and frustration and it does it does you can see other people glaring out the window uh, trying to catch somebody's attention you know what have you done you're in my yellow box space it's just really bad 1850 have you got an old mattress I've been meaning to mention this all week and today's my last day uh, to do it and can I say well done to Cork County Council should I say Cork City Council for this initiative. Cork City Council are offering an an, an amnesty today to members of the general public to dispose of an unwanted mattress and you can do it free of charge. From now until four o'clock this afternoon, Cork City Council are accepting clean and dry mattresses for free at the Civic Community site on the Kinsale Road. The unwanted mattresses will be accepted for free for one day only. Now there's a maximum of three mattresses per vehicle allowed to be disposed of. In case you want to go around the neighbourhood and you have space in your van that you could get in and another two mattresses with your one or maybe Mammy or Granny has an old mattress they want to get rid of. You can bring three but no more than three. Mattresses, by the way, they normally charge €15 for a single and €20 for a double. That's how much it costs to dispose of a a mattress normally. But today for this amnesty, it is free of charge. And City Hall say the amnesty is for domestic purposes only, please. So any commercial customers out there, you are not allowed to avail of the offers for the general public. So if you have an old mattress, because mattresses have a tendency to be one of the things that we do see dumped along with three-piece suites and it always frustrates me because you can't just carry a mattress and then dump it in a scenic area. You have to actually drive to the location. So it annoys me that people, if they're going to go to that bother to dump 
why not just drive and find your nearest civic community site and give it in there instead but have I didn't realise it's 20 euro for a double mattress and 15 euro for a single mattress at your civic community site so that could be one of the reasons we have to make things as easy and as cheap as close to being free as possible I think to get people to be absolutely civic minded about uh, dumping so I think if we had more of these amnesties and let people know that if you have an old mattress you can get rid of it today for free and if we had more of them even if they did it once a month or a couple you know maybe once every quarter it might just stop people people might just hold and say oh I'll wait there'll be another amnesty coming up and I'll be able to hand my mattress at him so well done to Cork City Council for that amnesty today I don't know if the County Council ever do it at their civic community sites if they do I certainly never remember calling it out here I never got a notice in uh, from them but if anyone from Cork County Council is listening and if you ever do one of an, a similar amnesty because we've got some fantastic civic community sites dotted around the country the county even let me know I'd be only too pleased to give it a mention for you and while we're on about Cork City Council and they being civic minded and doing their bit for the environment uh, they also need to be applauded because they held their first paperless meeting earlier at this week. A move which seemingly has saved the taxpayer, not just the environment, but it saved the taxpayer seven, or it will save, €7,000 a year. Now, seemingly they did have to have IT staff on, which is fine to help out all the councillors. But all the council documentation was presented electronically through a software called SharePoint which councillors then were able to access all of the reports either on their iPad, they could do it on their phones or on their laptops while the agenda items and any other reports, they displayed those on big TV screens. What had happened previously is interesting. Councillors received their agenda, their council reports, all of the information and all of the responses and they, to any of the individual councillor questions and they got them in a very large bundle which was known as the council pack and this is how the council are going to save the 7,000 euro because seemingly City Hall were spending about 7,000 hiring taxis to deliver these council packs to the homes of all of the councillors and they had to do it on the Thursday before the Monday meeting. Officials had repeatedly defended the use of taxis because I'm waiting for somebody to say why didn't they post them but seemingly they worked out that if they were to give the contract to one post Obviously, these council packs were quite big. If they were to have them delivered by post, it would have cost about 13000 So it was half the price to do it by a taxi. So they decided instead, save the taxpayer a bit of money and also good for the environment. They're being environmentally friendly. So well done to Cork City Council for going paperless. One wonders, will other councils around the country follow suit. 1850 Coming up on the programme this morning, we are going to get the very latest on the beef uh, crisis. There was a number of things happened yesterday and actually while we were on air yesterday and we were in contact with the Minister for Agriculture, Michael Creed's office, because we were trying to get clarification on some issues that had been mentioned on the programme. And lo and behold, while we were on air, we heard that the Minister, Michael Creed, had decided, come on, we need to do something. We are really at a stalemate. So he called in all the parties, brought them all in together to have talks yesterday. And those talks went ahead last evening 
at the Agriculture Minister's office on Kildare Street. So we're going to try and get the very latest on that, on where we are now at. I mean, from what I can gather, yesterday evening was talks about having talks, but at least that's a step in the right direction. We just need to get everybody around uh, tables. Uh, and we'll also find out how that protest went at Musgraves. We were talking about that yesterday on the programme as well. Good news from the Irish Blood Transfusion Service for anybody listening who had been a blood donor and was forced to give up because of the UK ruling or had tried to become a blood donor. But because you lived in the United Kingdom for a period of time in from the 80s into the 90s, I think it was, you had to be, if you were there for one year or more, you were not allowed to give blood. It frustrated so many people. Good news is that that policy has been changed and we'll be finding out more about it and finding out when exactly you can roll up your sleeve and offer to give uh, blood. We're also going to be chatting about cancer survival rates. There's a, a really good study out where they've where the Lancelot Oncology Journal in England have compared cancer survival rates in a number of countries and one of those countries happens to be Ireland and it certainly is good news for us here. More and more people thankfully when they get a cancer diagnosis are surviving because there was a time in this country where where even if the word cancer was mentioned that was it. People were already preparing their funerals, families. While families still get a shock and it still is a devastating news to get to get a cancer diagnosis but more and more people now are going on to get their treatment to get whatever it is an operation chemo radiation and then they go on to be cancer free and for many many years later they are cancer free which is certainly fantastic and only yesterday we had one of those great stories with young Darrow Shea from Dunamore who's doing that shave or die this Saturday night in the local bar and he's doing that to celebrate the fact that he's cancer free for a year and by way of saying a kind of a thank you to the Irish Cancer Society. So that's um, so it's interesting today then to see the study out showing that the rates of survival from cancer on the increase in this country. Still more to be done but at least it's going in the right direction. A member from Gardaí Corner will join us for Crime File and then Jane Pickett will join us answering all of your pet questions. You can get pet questions in throughout the morning, please. 1850-333-103. And every day this week, we are playing an audio clip from a chef doing a cooking segment with a word bleeped out. You have to try to work out what the bleeped out word uh, is and it's a competition in association with the McCroom Food Festival which runs from September 19th through to the 22nd and every day this week we've been giving away a Folan's gift pack which has new limited editions, jams, marmalades and relishes. Lovely, lovely prize. And tomorrow our prize is an overnight stay for two people in the Castle Hotel in McCroom with dinner on the night and also taste trail tickets that you can use during the McCroom Food Festival. So we will play today's chef. Just take a listen to this, see if you can work out the missing ingredient, but it will be the last hour. I'll be instructing you on how you can either ring in or text in to win. Now I'm keeping the skin on because I love to cook fish with the skin on because it holds it together. So we're going to season this and we're going to just very quickly pan fry it. Pinch of on the fish. Ah, there you go. That is the lovely Never Maguire cooking fish, but he's adding something to it. And it's our missing ingredient. OK, we'll play it again. I'll give you another chance uh, to listen to it throughout the morning and give you the chance uh, to win. And you can uh, check out 
everything that's happening at McCroom Food Festival this year on their website. Full details, McCroomFoodFestival.com. I just did a text in when I was talking about Mallow Bridge having reopened this morning and I getting stuck in traffic and wondering was it just because it was after eight, was it just that time of the day? Mary says, uh, at the moment it's just gridlock in uh, Mallow and I just took a look on Google Maps where you can see the traffic has really built up over the bridge, right up onto the main street um, and heading out the park road over towards Bellevue. Yeah, it does seem to be quite busy at the moment and I'm assuming it's to do with the fact that there's still confusion with the bridge. Is it open? And then it is open and the lights, I'm have. they're probably still working on trying to get the lights sequenced properly. It certainly was seemed out of sync this morning and it was on flashing amber by the time I got back over the bridge a second time. So that's obviously delaying things as well. So a little bit of patience. I try to avoid the bridge in Mallow completely if that is at all possible. Jason is in Donora. Jason says Mallow is planned so badly when it comes to traffic which is so sad for a town of its of its size which has so much potential for employment it is built the crossroads of Munster and now of course it is a commuter town for Cork yet the traffic is so bad it surely must be turning people off setting up businesses in Mallow or coming into Mallow to do uh, business therefore Mallow as a town must be losing out and that is evident with the amount of derelict buildings on the main street in Mallow I did have an opportunity as I crawled down through the traffic on the main street there is a lot of derelict buildings really a lot of derelict I don't think I've seen so many derelict buildings in quite a long time and actually when I was in I was in Tralee at the weekend and it was the one it was the one thing I spoke about was we'd got the train there was a gang of us got the train down from Mallow down to Tralee and as we got off the train then we walked into the town and it's a very pretty lovely busy buzzy little town it was on Sunday now it was before the shops they didn't open until 12 but we got there about half 11 but there was people buzzing around and then once the shop stopped opened it was certainly busy and I actually commented on that and said I saw one closed boarded up shop you know not quite derelict but one closed up shop all the other shops were open and it was just a kind of a hive of activity which is very very different from Mallow Town just up the road uh, from it so yeah I would agree with you that is, I don't know if it's down to traffic is is the reason but certainly there are too many derelict shops and buildings on the main street in Mallow and Ryan moved to Mallow in the last nine months for work but in the evenings he faces traffic but he's also facing traffic in the mornings he was in that traffic jam this morning that I sat in he was there for about 30 minutes he said I didn't move to a city so I could avoid I didn't relocate to the city so that I could avoid that style of hectic living and being stuck in traffic but now I'm in a traffic jam in Mallow that was never part of the plan said Ryan when he moved here. As we announced yesterday all sides in the beef dispute were invited to talks by Minister Michael Creed at his department on Kildare Street. Once again joining me Helen O'Sullivan uh, for West Cork Farmer with the Beef Plan Movement. Good morning to you Helen. Morning Trisha. Uh, and, and you are very welcome. Firstly what format did the talks take? Did, uh, did everybody go in individually Individually or what format? How did it work yesterday? Yeah, um, well, I suppose yesterday after our conversation on your show yesterday, um, there was some positive news. Minister Creed invited all of the agri-stakeholders to meet in the Department of Ag in Dublin. So this included the Beef Plan Movement, the ICSA, the IFA, the ICMSA, the Irish Matura and Hill Farmers Association, Martin Firma, and then there was representatives there from the meat industry. 
Now, they met with Minister Creed earlier in the morning, the meat industry representative, and the uh, one member from each farm organisation then went in together to meet up with Minister Creed and the Secretary-General, uh, Brendan Gleeson, um, of the Department of Ag. <coughs> so I suppose what happened in there then, Patricia, um, I suppose the meeting was effectively talks about talks. Mm. Um, the Secretary-General, Brendan Gleeson, um, <coughs> you know, proposed the following, that uh, one, talks to commence on Monday, two, factories guaranteed nothing would move in or out uh, while talks take place, three, protests to stand down, with the assurance of Minister Creed that nothing would pass through the factory gates um, while the, the talks about the protests were going on. And I thought there was thoughts to that then, Patricia, from the farm organisations. Um, all farm organisations supported peace plan when they asked that all legal proceedings be completely withdrawn from peace plan and the named farmers. As number two, the minister was told talks could not take place and farmers would not stand down while legal proceedings remain in place. Three, providing the legal issue is addressed, the farm organisations requested that the talks take place sooner than they did take place this Saturday morning. Now, Meat Industry Ireland, they had suggested Monday. They had suggested Monday, Patricia. Why, yes. why, is, why are the farming organisations, why, why do you feel Saturday? Why, I mean, it seems petty that we're, org- we're, we're arguing about a day, but why do you feel it's important? Is it that, that you want the talks to start sooner rather than later? I think that's, that's exactly it, Patricia. They wanted to start sooner rather than later. You know, they really want to break this impasse that's here at the moment. And I think they kind of feel, why wait till Monday? You know, I mean, you know, why not bring it on sooner and have it on Saturday or even yeah, tomorrow, yeah. If, if they could, you okay. know. Were, um, so did, the were there retailers, any of the retailers no, present? there was no retailers there. And um, I suppose, in fairness to Mr. Creed, he has made numerous attempts to get the retailers there and to get him to the table for the talks when it does happen. But unfortunately, they've declined. So I don't know why that is, um, because I think it's imperative that they be there for the talks. Um, well, they're part, they are very much part <coughs> of the solution. Absolutely, they are very much part of the solution. And I can't figure out or understand why are they declining to come to the table for talks. Um, you know, these are the people that are looking for the spec, you know, the anti-competitive practices like the 30-month age limit and the four-movement rule, etc. So why can't they come out now? This is their opportunity to clarify this position. Did anyone, so, by the way, from Musgraves talk to you no, yesterday with, with the protest? No, there was, I suppose, altogether there would have been up to 30 of us there in Musgraves and no, nobody came near us. It was a peaceful protest. We just carried on um, just walking around. Now, in fairness, the passerby, the people passing by were very supportive, you know, hooting the horn the whole time, giving a big cheer, people bought up food. So it was just fantastic to see, but nobody came up from Musgraves. Nobody made any comment. Do you feel, did you achieve anything there for them? Well, I just, you know, I think it was no harm for them to see, look, you know, this, you know, the the people aren't happy with their response by not coming to the talks in the first place. So we would hope maybe when they see the likes of the Beast Plan movement out there protesting that they might say, look, hold on a while, maybe we should be in there. Maybe we will be part of this um, equation that will help break this impasse that's currently there at the moment. So I would hope, I would like very much, if there is anybody listening from Musgraves, that they would reconsider and definitely come into the talks um, when they will resume, because I think it's very important that they're there to discuss. And um, what what is this, um, the Beef Plan mo- movement? You got producer status. This is it, yeah. No, this is this is a huge plus now. We're the only, the Beef Plan is the only farm organisation that has ever gotten this. And what this is, uh, we're now registered as a producer organisation. So effectively, what that means now, Patricia, is that we can now talk about price. 
which is great. With 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 the meat industry. But but I thought price couldn't be discussed because that's of consumer right, because of competition authority. Yeah. That's right. Unless and we brought this up with Michael Downing at the talks last Monday morning in Kildare. Uh, the independent chairman and we discussed that with him and he said you can talk you can negotiate price but he said you cannot agree a price he said unless you're in a producer group so there was no other producer group in Ireland until now and uh, yeah so it's great so that was that was put over the line yesterday so now Beef Plan are officially the only registered producer group in Ireland Now you need the meat industry to recognise that and sit down with you Yes yes that's very that's very positive going forward which is great Yeah and 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 a step another step in in the right direction What what did you make of the former I mean he's the new EU Trade Commissioner now but the the former Agriculture Commissioner our own Phil Hogan he was he's given out about you you, all of you the beef farmers and saying he was embarrassed that so few beef farmers had signed up for the EU backed support scheme this is the 100 million 50 million coming from the EU and 50 million being matched by the government and he said there's he's disappointed that there's such a low level of applications for that money well, I just tell you now, Patricia, and I'm just this is from my own opinion. I'm very disappointed in in uh, Mr. Phil Hogan uh, to basically throw the farmers down the swanee. He sacrificed the the, the suckler farmers. He used them as a sacrificial lamb to 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 get himself a, a very highly paid job uh, to gain money for the other EU countries, i.e., Germany, that will be shipping their cars out to um, Brazil. He was very hypocritical in what he said. He's been for years beating a drum here with the farmers here in Ireland saying cut down your production and plant trees and he then turns around and agrees to um, this Mercosur deal where they're going to be cutting down the rainforest which is the world's lungs and asking them to produce more meat and what about the carbon footprint from, from all the way across the world back here so I think that man is very hypocritical I think he's no right to say he's embarrassed in fact I think all of the farmers in Ireland are embarrassed of him of the way he's treated the farmers here and of the way he has left them here now on the picket lines, they, the wage he has would probably put probably half of the farmers here for the whole year away more. He'd have way more um, earned than what. Okay, while you while you mightn't be happy with him as the EU Agriculture Commissioner, mm-hmm. why? But his point: why has there been such a low level of applications for that one hundred million euro fund? <laughs> Because with that, you see, again, here they are. I think what the whole thing that's happening here is they're trying to get rid of the beef farmer completely. Uh, if you were to apply for that fund, Patricia, you have to cut down your herd dramatically. So if you cut down the herd, so they're kind of giving, giving it to you in one hand and taking it back in the other. So if you apply for this grant, and when it is given out, it's not a lot of money, uh, you'll have to reduce your herd. So, um, oh, okay. Yeah, so it's the conditions. It's the, conditions. Yes. Okay, it's the conditions so, that, were, that are attached to it. I suppose you it. often hear this saying, you don't get a free lunch, you know, no such thing as a free lunch. Yeah, this is yeah. what Commissioner Hogan's doing here. He's giving it out in one hand and taking it back in the other. So I think it would be more in his line to get a proper be- price for for the, the beef in foreign markets and for for in Ireland in, in, in general. Um, I mean, would he live on, on four euros an hour? You know, when you compare his wage to a farmer's wage. Yeah, you live on 8,350 years. I don't think it's, so. It's very different, that's, that's for sure. So totally when, different. so do you, have you any idea on what a timeline on information trickling out today is going to be? Do we so, know? Yes. Um, so we're, all that has been um, put back and forth now between the different argument sectors yesterday. So we're now waiting on Minister Creed to, he will convey that information to Cormac Healy in the Meat Industry of Ireland. So then he's to come back to the farm organisations and he's to come back 
and to reconvene those talks as soon as possible. So um, I think if, if that can be done for Saturday morning, it would be great, you know. And in the meantime, the protests continue. Now, I know the beef plan movement, you've nothing to do with those. That's right, we you, don't. You can't. Because, yeah, we can't, Patricia, because of the whole legal the aspect that, that's going on at the moment. This is why we're asking, was one of the things that we asked Minister Creed yesterday, or that the beef plan asked to please remove that immediately from the beef plan and any farmer that has got any um, injunction or any legal action over them. So unless that is done, we will be compromised going back into talks, you know, um, so that will have to be removed. And, um, you know, unfortunately, the farmers are out there today in the rain, again, you know, picketing, you know, fighting for um, a proper um, price for their cattle. But mm-hmm. going back to the factory workers that we discussed yesterday, Patricia, yeah. I found out last night that there was actually 35 of those factory workers flown to Poland, where they're now working in a meat factory there. So things aren't looking so bad for them. You know? But that's only thirty five. There's there's still a, a number, you know. Yeah, and I suppose possibly uh, and actually going I did possibly going to do, you know, well, yeah, uh, yeah, they they that's what they'll do. They'll all be forced mm. to sign on. But I did read there's a really good piece in uh, Anne Marie Walsh, the industry correspondent in mm. the Independent, uh, is writing a piece about the laid off uh, meat workers and the fact that they're facing a financial struggle. But her yeah. piece, her, the uh, the essence of her piece is they don't blame the farmers. I mean, there's mm. you know a lot of the workers have an understanding of why you're doing what you're doing I mean they don't want to be out of work but I think they do have an understanding and they do have a level of sympathy they do well actually when I was actually there at the very start of the protesting when these plan were there I must say the workers very nice people they, they came out they sympathised with us actually one of them ate food for us and brought us down to us she was crying she was crying at one stage she felt so sorry for us she felt so sorry for themselves you know um, so they're very understanding they know what's going on they know that we are getting way below cost of production I think that them themselves aren't getting a whole lot working in the factory either. Um, so I think they know where we're coming from. So I think the problem doesn't lie with the farmer or the factory workers. The problem here lies within the meat industry. Uh, there's a cartel going on there, um, Patricia. It's been going on for years. It hasn't happened overnight. You heard Ger who was on yesterday um, about what happened back in the you know the late early early nineties with with Larry Goodman. So I think it it has to, the problem will have to will be solved within the meat industry beginning there, okay. and you know we all know the money they're making and unfortunately what the workers, the factory workers are getting and what the farmers are getting is pence in comparison to what they're getting. We'll keep in contact with you, Helen. In the meantime, thank you for that. Great, Patricia. Thanks and uh, very much. thanks uh, for joining us, Helen O'Sullivan, there from the Beef Plan Movement uh, in West Cork. When we were mentioning Phil Hogan, Big Phil, John in Connacilty says, Patricia, tell all those farmers be very careful. Phil Hogan might jail them all. Wasn't he the guy when he set up Irish Water and, oh, and he said he would follow the people to the grave? Remember that for, for water charges? Uh, John, according, feels Phil is a bully and it shows you get jobs done when you bully people. John, not a fan of Phil Hogan. 1850-333-103. Every Friday, we're counting down to the weekend, the weekend. by turning up the Feel Good. C103's Feel Good Friday brings you six hours of Feel Good Greatest Hits. Join Nick Richards from 1 and Martina O'Donoghue from 4 as we get you weekend ready. Weekend ready. Turning up the feel good for Cork. For Cork. Every Friday from 1. 
Feel Good Friday, only on C103. The Irish Blood Transfusion Service has reversed a 15-year policy that prevented people who had once lived in Britain from donating blood. To explain more, I'm joined from the IBTS by Dr Ellen McSweeney, who is a donor consultant. Good morning to you, uh, Ellen, and you're welcome to the programme. Thank you very much. Good morning, Patricia. Now, can you remind us why this ban was introduced? And can I just say, I can't believe it was 15 years ago. It seemed like only a couple of years ago. I remember doing an interview about it. But anyway, time flies. Just remind us why it was introduced. It does indeed. Well, it was introduced actually because um, of varying CJD in the United Kingdom. And there was a concern that people, it's it's a human version of mad cow disease, but there was a concern that people with varying CJD might actually transmit that by donating blood. And in fact, we had before 2004, we actually put in a deferred in 2001. But at that time, we said that if somebody had spent five years in the UK, they couldn't donate because we did it in stages because we knew it would affect our, our donating population. But in December 2003, there was actually a case reported where it was the first case where somebody had a donor had donated and was well at the time and subsequently developed varian CJD. And in 2003, the person who'd received that donation developed a variant CJD. So at that stage, we, you know, we were even more concerned. And And where was that? That was it. That was in the United Kingdom. Kingdom, okay. Yeah. The only cases of transfusion transmitted variant CJD have been in the United Kingdom. There hasn't been anyone anyone anywhere else. Okay. Uh, So the decision was taken then if people were there for it was a year wasn't it or more you had to have lived initially in 2001 they had been there if they'd been there for five years but by 2004 in November we said if they'd been there even for one year they couldn't actually donate so why the decision now to reverse the policy okay well well first well, we've done um, an extensive review. We've actually been looking at this for a while, but we've done an extensive review. And at this point in time, we believe that the risk of transmitting varying CJD by donating blood is absolutely infinitesimal, is really remote. And there are a number of reasons for that. And one is that the number of cases of varying CJD is very much lower than was originally predicted. I mean, initially, the estimates, you know, they varied hugely. They were talking about thousands of people, mm. while it's in fact, in the United Kingdom, there's only been 178 people had varying CJD and four people in Ireland. So the numbers are a lot lower than we thought. And the second thing is that in 1999, we introduced a process called leukodepletion, which means that we removed white cells from from blood before we actually give it to patients. Now, that was done for a number of reasons, but one of the thinking was that perhaps it would help in this circumstance, and indeed is, pro, is proven to be quite quite effective. So, and nobody has, nobody who's received leukodepleting blood has developed varying CJD. The cases in the UK all received blood from which the white cells had not been removed. Okay. And we've been using leukodepleted blood as a standard for the last 20 years. So we thought, you know, 20 years on, it, we're not saying there's no risk of transmitting varying CJD by blood transfusion, but we're saying that the risk is remote. 
and it's time that we actually allow people who, who are obviously well, who've lived in the UK or travelled to the UK, to actually donate because we always need to balance risks and benefits. And um, were, did many people have to stop giving blood who were already donors when this ban came in? Oh, absolutely. We, oh. Ha- we have at least 11,000 and that's just from the living in the UK. And we have another number of thousand people who receive blood transfusions and more people, about 2,000, who actually had surgery. Now, we've also reversed the surgery saying, because again, there's actually, we were concerned that instruments might actually transmit variant CJG. But there's no evidence that that has actually happened. So we've also reversed that decision and said people who had their appendix out in the UK can now come and donate, for example. There's still a deferral on blood transfusions. So if somebody had a blood transfusion in Ireland after 1980, they can't donate or outside of Ireland at any time. That's still there. That remains in place. That That remains in place. That's a precautionary measure, yes. But there was a lot of people very disappointed and annoyed who wanted to give blood over the years and then when they discovered this UK uh, policy, people were very disappointed. Oh, absolutely. And we we know that. But we, I mean, we have a duty to patients to to have the blood as safe as is possible to have it. But we also must, you know, review our our decisions. And like 20 years on from leukodeplete, without any further, without any transmission from people who've received leukodepleted blood. We think now's the time. Well done. Well well done. So when will people be able to now donate? On the 7th of October, which okay. is a Monday. Monday, OK. And, and I'm assuming, uh, Ellen, always in need of new donors and people who had been donors and for whatever reason stopped going, maybe because you had to with this UK ruling, always looking for people to come forward. Absolutely always. We need 3,000 donations every week. 3,000. 3,000. And, and the summer months, uh, Ellen, I know I would often call out, do a shout out here for local clinics when you're collecting blood. The summer months can be a tricky time, can't it? They can be very tricky because, you know, if people are on holidays, are the weather's just exceptionally good or there's a match on or, or <laughs> even if there's a funeral, you know, if there's a funeral in the local area, yeah. then some people, you know, they, they obviously go to the funeral rather, uh, rather than coming to donate, which is understandable. So, so things can affect it. So, yes, the more people who actually are eligible, the better. Um, a text says, um, good morning, I used to donate blood, but I have a phobia about the finger prick, not the uh, needle. It's ridiculous. But just the finger prick. Uh, do you still do that or is there any do. other way? No. Oh. no, we still do it, I'm afraid. And that's to check your haemoglobin to make sure you have enough haemoglobin before you can donate. And you're right, some people, you know, it's on your finger and I suppose your finger is tender, but it doesn't take long. But we understand if people have phobias. Look the other way. Just see, and it all way. happens so quickly. It really happens so quickly. Can you give blood if you're on aspirin, says the texter? It depends on why you're on it. If you're on aspirin as a routine, say because you had, if you had a heart attack and it's as a, you know, prophylaxis, then you can't. Or you had a TIA, a mini stroke, then you can't. But if you had a headache, you know. Yeah, and, and you took an aspirin. That, then, yeah. then you can. Yeah. And one final one. What happens um, with people who have high, high iron in their blood? I'm assuming somebody with hemochromatosis. Yeah, no, no, hemochromatosis, that's something that we've um, changed. You know, our policies have evolved over the years. And since December of last year, 
somebody with hemochromatosis can come and donate at any of our mobile clinics, but they must they must obviously fulfil the normal criteria for donors, but also their hemochromatosis must be in the maintenance phase. And they must need no more than eight venous sections in the year. Now, we would do four venous sections. And if they need any more than that, then we ask that they are done by the, whoever their, their GP or the hospital or whoever, you know, does it for them. And they mustn't have had any cardiac problems or liver problems. Um, but other than that, if, you know, we'd be delighted to have them. OK, well done. Well done. All right, um, Ellen, listen, thank you for that. And Not continue sure. good luck with the great work of the Blood Transfusion Service. You play such a vital role in looking after all of us. We appreciate it. Thank you for joining Indeed. us. Thank you too. Uh, good morning to you. That is Dr. Ellen Maxweeney. And I know that that will be received by such great, such great news for people. Because I say, I've nev- I haven't in the last 15 years done an interview about anything with the Irish Blood Transfusion Service without somebody ringing in saying, why? can't I give blood just because I lived in England well you can do it now from the 7th of October off with you uh, 1850 lines are open in the next hour we're going to be talking about cancer survival rates there is a new report out uh, um, and also we'll be catching up with your calls and comments and on Garth Shikona will join us for this week's Crime File Get weekly news event updates and community information from across Cork with our regional reports on c103.ie from Bantry to Buttevant to Hallow to Dunmanway and every area in between. We've got it covered. To listen, go to c103.ie and click Regional Reports or download the C103 app and click Podcasts. Regional Reports, only on C103. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Now, before I get to uh, your comments coming in on a variety of different issues, I want to go to the phone lines because Sergeant John Kelly, uh, based in Formoy Garda Station, joins me with uh, a Garda appeal. Good morning to you, John. Good morning, Patricia. Uh, John, you are looking to try to track down two males disturbed in a burglary. 10 o'clock this morning, Patricia, on the Dublin Road in Formoy. Uh, two males. Um, one was disturbed at the back window of a house by a very vigilant member of the public trying to break in the house. Now, they're driving in um, a silvery, uh, silvery grey Audi A3 hatchback. Now, that car appears to have distinctive chrome around the windows, and they ha- it has five-spoke alloys. So it's quite a distinctive car. Um, we believe there, that there's a false registration on that car, um, and uh, so there's no point in, in me even giving any part of that because we believe it's a, it's a false re- registration. But in case so, they're so, still driving around with the false registration, it's, it's 131, isn't it? Is, is we, we think, we think, we think okay. that part of it was 131. Okay, right? okay. But it, it may not be on it at this stage. Okay, but it's but it's sure. more the silvery grey Audi A3 and it's it's an estate car, hatchback. Uh, well, no, it's, uh, could I revise that to yeah. say that it's, it's not, not the estate, it's actually the hatchback. It's a hatchback. The Audi A3... Is, is a hatchback. It's a manufactured hatchback. Okay. If the year of the car could be around 2014 or that. Okay, but but as you said, they're, they're using false number plates, so that yeah. won't be... Yeah, so it, it has the distinctive kind of five-spoke alloys. appears to have some silver around the, around the windows um, as regards chrome finish. Um, so I just appeal to people, just keep a look out. We're do do we know what now. way it's headed? We don't, unfortunately. No. It may have gone, may have gone back onto the motorway. It was in the area there around Amber 
in, in Formoy, which is very close to the motorway. Might have gone on to the motorway, but then again, uh, if it's one of those uh, gangs that visit us from the, um, from Dublin from time to time, they would have an intense knowledge of the countryside as well. Okay. So they, they may have just continued over uh, either in the Waterford direction or either in the Mallow direction. But the direction it, of travel is known. But it. if anybody out driving at the moment listening to us and they have they, 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 they're looking at the car or they've spotted the car or they passed the car at any stage, contact from Oigardi. Yeah. Contact for my guy. Contact for for my guy. O two five eight two one hundred. And just for people in general, just to keep a lookout from now on, because I mean, you, you know, you're into September now. You you know, we tend to see uh, an increase in in burglaries. You, you know, once you're into September, but uh, you know, all in all, things have been very quiet. You know, there have not been very many burglaries in the last couple of weeks, which is great. Well, you know, which is great. But just for people's vigilance, in this case, has paid off. Well and done. Ask people. They're out for their walk with the dog or whatever. Just keep an eye out. Okay. And if you see the couple of fellas that may be sitting in the car, uh, you, you know, quip out the phone, grab grab a quick uh, grab a quick photograph, you know, and, and put and put a call through to your local guard the station. Okay, and, but and from, put a call through. You're not from, wasting our time. For more guard, the O two five eight two one hundred. If yes. anybody spots that car, all right, John. Listen, thank you for that. Thank you very much. Uh, have a good Thank day. You. Thanks Bye-bye. for joining us, Sergeant John Kelly. Joining us from Formoy, Agarda Station. If we all look out for each other, that's what's important as well. Well done to that member of the public, I'm sure. Whoever's living in that house uh, will be thrilled to have heard that uh, they, somebody copped what was going on and disturbed the burglars. But now if we could just track them down maybe they've just headed away maybe they've they've left us completely in Cork but it is possible if they're they're up to no good they're out to break into houses so it is possible they could just move on to a different area and try another house so a silver grey uh, Audi A3 hatchback that's what you're looking out for at the moment okay some of your calls and comments coming into the programme I mentioned Phil Hogan in the last hour for some reason somebody has sent in a text saying where is Phil Hogan from now, I don't know why the person wants to know this but Phil Hogan is a native of Kilkenny he grew up on a farm in Kilkenny he was educated locally he actually then came to us here in Cork he attended UCC where he graduated with a degree in economics and geography and then uh, when his university studies were done he went back to Kilkenny and he managed his family farm so he does come from a farming background Uh, during that period he also founded an insurance and real estate business but he got into politics he's one of the guys that got into politics very early he was a local county councillor on Kilkenny County Council and he got elected at the age of 22 so his politics really has been his life, all of his adult life uh, certainly, but he does come from a farming background. As I say, I don't know why the person wants to know that, but he's from Kilkenny. Uh, 1850 We've been talking about Mallow and Mallow traffic and Mallow Bridge and it was gridlocked earlier. Hopefully that sorted itself out. Uh, uh, this is from John in Mallow. I live on the Cork Road side of Mallow and it's much easier for me, says John, to go over the flyover than to go anywhere near Mallow Bridge because of those traffic lights. They never seem to be in the right sequence they never seem to be set in the right way in John's opinion Mallow is only a one horse town oh John Uh, 1850-333-103 some of your WhatsApps in okay can anybody offer advice here please to Mary Uh, Mary was was listening to our piece with uh, Dr Ellen who joined us from the Blood Transfusion Service who was talking about the fact that people from the United Kingdom can now once again donate blood that 15 year ban has now been removed and 
somebody texted in saying that always give blood but their phobia and the bit they hate is when you go in if you've never given blood the first thing that they do when they take all your details is they do a little finger prick test and this is just to check your hemoglobin and just to see that you are okay and that you're fit and healthy and able to give uh, blood and that's the part that freaks out one of our listeners who regularly gives blood actually God help us if that person ever got diabetes because that kind of fingerprint test has to be done a couple of times a day doesn't it if, you, if, you're, if you're diabetic anyway Mary that got Mary into texting us to say her daughter is due to get the HPV vaccination and we spoke about how important that vaccination is on this programme last week daughter's due to get it next week but her daughter is literally petrified of syringes would anybody have any tips on how to calm her daughter down, please. Her anxiety levels now are through the roof. Oh God, isn't that just dreadful? And that's from Mary. I'm assuming, Mary, you're bringing her to your own GP that it isn't been done in the school. Certainly, if she's that nervous, I wouldn't be having it done in a school setting. I'd be bringing her along to my own GP. So we will um, imagine that's what you're doing. She's not the first and won't be the last to have a phobia of syringes. I mean, I clearly remember being, and it was in a school setting, the girl in front of me getting some kind of, I don't know, wouldn't, wouldn't it wouldn't have been MMR now in my day, but some kind of a vaccination that we were getting and she fainted. And of course that put all of us off thinking, oh my God, what's after happening? But she was so petrified, she just fainted. So some people do have a fear of needles and a fear of any kind of a syringes. So does anybody have any tips that we could pass on to Mary, to pass on to her daughter, who I'm assuming is, what, 12, 13? That's the kind of age group, isn't it? That they're giving out the HPV vaccine. It's an important vaccination. Her daughter needs to get to to get it. But how do we get her over? What are the tips to get her to calm down? And also to stop, I mean, she's got the anxiety levels. She's probably knows it's been coming for the last week or two so she's been building up and building up and it's just getting worse in her own mind if anybody can offer words of advice on something that worked for you or if you just son or daughter that was in a similar situation how do we get her over this phobia so that she can get in there get the injection and she'll be fine and that's it done and dusted if anybody can help there 1850-333-103 and my heart breaks when I saw this WhatsApp coming in saying Patricia I am really upset at the minute I started a job two weeks ago I'll stop down there and say well done and congratulations on on your job it's only a part time job but well done today was to be my first pay slip and you know the excitement when you're counting in your head you know how much money you're going to get and you nearly have it spent before you take it out of the bank anyway listener went into her bank account to get the money to discover that the bank had taken 56 euro from the account 5 euro for every month since last September. Who do they think they are? I haven't even used my card with such a long time because obviously there's been no funds in the card and I didn't even get a statement from them. I have a part-time job and I'm now left with €40 Euro for the week. I will be closing the account. The banks will never get money from me again. Oh. Yeah, and all banks have different charges. That's that's the problem. And obviously the fact that there's been no money going into a, into the account, these charges, even though there's no money in there and the account wasn't being used, they charge their maintenance fees. Some have quarterly maintenance fees, but others have, I mean, she doesn't say which bank it is, but others do have monthly maintenance fees. And the maintenance fee, as far as I know, is there regardless of whether you use the account or not, which seems absolutely so unfair. It's like that, you know, if you've got a credit card and you have to pay 
a government levy. It's €40, Euro, isn't it, every year. Whether you use your credit card or not, that has to be paid to the government. I know that's another charge that desperately frustra- frustrates people. But banks, yeah, they are well able to put charges uh, on. And my heart breaks for you. That's, it is really, really upsetting. Uh, but you've no way out of it. If you've signed up to the bank, you've signed up to their, their terms and agreements, their the T's and C's, the famous T's and C's. And when you say that you haven't got a statement, most of the banks now are not issuing statements anymore. And the only way you can find out what's in your account or not in your account is to go online. They've been doing that for quite some time. Now, usually you would get a letter, though, to say that they were doing it and they give you the option of if you still want paper if you still want a statement in the post that you need to contact them but they can I have a tendency I found in the past that when they do that they try to make it as awkward and as difficult as possible for you to I remember ringing a bank because I wanted to keep the actual paper bills coming and I was ringing and ringing and ringing and so nobody was answering the phone number that they'd given me and I wondered was a part of the plan to force me to go online with them and then I thought about the environment and said oh, okay I'll do all the banking online instead so I gave up on it but my heart goes out to you when you particularly that first wage packet and I always say to people if, if they are in a position to do it if you get a first wage packet when you've started work for the first time to just blow it just you know spend it on yourself and, and enjoy and have fun and then to discover that over half of her first wage packet gone on fees to the bank 1850 Mick contacted us yesterday and I didn't get around to it but I wanted to have time to look into it anyway to say nobody is mentioning fallen stock animals that die on land Mick said we had an animal that died and when they rang the company to take the dead animal to the knackery they were told they're on strike because the Department of Agriculture won't talk to them. Uh, he, Mick also says it seems to be going back again to the meat factories. Trucks are not calling out collecting fallen stock. See and I don't know if many farmers are aware of this or not. I think like Mick they'll only become aware of it when they have a dead animal and then they ring to find out that they, they are on strike and I looked into it and knackeries uh, which I absolutely hate that word I don't know what it is I always find that word offensive and I don't think there's any other word for it except it's an acre they take dead animals anyway they've closed their gates since Tuesday and this is a piece I'm reading uh, from and it's a quote from the chairperson of the Animal Collectors Association there is such an association a gentleman by the name of Michael McKeever all of the knackeries are working at a loss he says reason for it is funding comes from the Department of Agriculture. That funding was reduced by over 80% back in 2009 and since then the additional costs, what do they do? They pass them on to the farmers uh, to collect their animals. So the Animal Collectors Association, the ACA say it said it's simply not viable for them to continue running at a loss. Now the Department of Agriculture it seems has been in discussion with the ACA in recent weeks in relation to the operation of knackeries and the fallen animal scheme according to a spokesperson for the department but they don't seem to be getting uh, anywhere goodness me but Michael Creed and the Department of Agriculture have so many headaches going on at the moment uh, don't they animals that, that die on farms are animals that are alive but unwell and unfit for human consumption they're all sent to the uh, knackery 40 or so of them have closed around the country. But the big worry there, surely, is that not now a health and safety issue? Is there not a huge danger of spread of disease if animals are left uncollected? 
my initial when I saw Mick's comment come in yesterday that's the first thing I thought of what about health and safety surely this is one dispute that has to be sorted out very very quickly indeed but we'll call it out because I don't know if many farmers are aware of it or if as I said at the start it only becomes an issue when you have a fallen animal and you contact your local collection service to take the dead animal to the knackery to be told sorry we're all on strike 1850 333 103 C103 Jobs Monster Drain Services they're looking to recruit general operatives it's due to business ex- expansion a full C licence by the way is compulsory a baker's assistant for all general works including baking packaging and cleaning that's required for a bakery in Canturk Play school assistant is required. Immediate start. It's a Timaleague community play school. And tele sales agent. Wanted for a three-month contract. You'll be working from home. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs. This is C103. C103 presents the McCroom Food Festival from September 19th to 22nd. Enjoy comedy capers at the Castle Hotel Thursday night. Take a tour of McCroom Buffalo Farm Friday morning. There's a tea time swing dance on Friday night. Don't miss the Kids Zone, the McCroom Taste Trail, a busking competition and live music by Hot Guitars. Sunday sees the Monster Outdoor Market, Kids Fun and Entertainment. The McCroom Food Festival, September 19th to 22nd. With C103. Cancer survival rates have significantly fallen in Ireland over the last two decades, but Ireland is still lagging behind the pace of improvement in a number of other countries. That's according to a new study which has been published in the Lancelet Oncology Journal. And they looked at the cancer survival rates here in Ireland, in Australia, Canada, Denmark, New Zealand, Norway and the United Kingdom. Joining me from the Irish Cancer Society is Dr Robert O'Connor who's Head of Research with the Cancer Society. Good morning to you Robert. Good morning Patricia, uh, thanks for having me on the show. Well you're very welcome. Okay, what types of cancer are we seeing the best survival rates uh, in, in this country? Oh, well I, I suppose before I, I start out on that I, I, I would like to say that we welcome uh, the Cancer Society welcomes this report and what we're seeing is overall a massive improvement for cancer outcome for patients uh, in Ireland in general. But when things are benchmarked against these uh, seven uh, other different cancers, we see a big difference in some cancers. So, for example, in esophageal cancer, we're right up there at the top in terms of, of survival, which is a really good thing for our, our patients and people impacted by cancer to hear about. But then in some other cancers, um, like um ovarian cancer, bowel cancer, uh, uh, sorry, colon cancer and rectal cancer were right down there near the bottom. Um, and I suppose we need to realise that the targeted focused investment that has been made in improving cancer services um, has reaped real rewards, but that we have to keep going with that investment. And a lot of the success rates, uh, Robert, are they down to early diagnosis and our treatment has improved? Um, they're down to a combination of things, and there's no question that t- treatment has improved, new surgical procedures, new medicines, all of which are provided by top-class clinicians in Ireland. And bear in mind, people may not be re- may not realise this, but all of our medical profession here train in the top um, centres in the world uh, in their expertise. So we have very good treatment um, facilities uh, and that. I suppose there's been a number of new advances in, in those treatments uh, and better um, diagnostics. 
Also, the centralization of care, so that if people develop a malignancy, that they have access to a person who just deals in that particular cancer. That is their full-time job, and they know everything there is to know about that, and that makes a big difference. So those collected together really explain why Ireland has had the most dramatic. We were in a very poor place a couple of decades ago compared to our international peers. So we're now at least up there um, on, on the radar, but I think none of us would be happy until we get up to the overall outcomes that people see in countries like Norway and Australia. And I think we've kind of shown it. This report shows that that investment has actually paid off mm. and does pay off, but we need to keep going. And can we very much learn from these studies, Robert, at what works so well in other countries and then, and then bring that back here? We can, and I guess, uh, as I was kind of hinting at earlier, we have access to the majority of the medicines, treatments, surgeries, diagnostics, etc., and that these other countries have. But where they have been clever and box clever is they've also invested in making sure that uh, patients and GPs and doctors can provide early access to diagnostics. And if we take the example of ovarian cancer, it often starts out with very unclear and uncertain symptoms, very vague symptoms. And the majority of uh, cases that people might suspect could be ovarian cancer thankfully turn out to be a variety of other things. But it's very important that if somebody has symptoms and a doctor has some concerns, that they can rapidly get that person seen by someone who can elevate and identify if there is a problem there, and then they get into good quality treatment. And also survivorship and survivorship supports are very important, are invested uh, heavily in these countries like Australia, Denmark uh, and Norway to make sure that patients have the best opportunity to leverage off of those advances in research so that when they, they get through their treatment that they have good quality, good advice and good support um, to give them the best possibility of a good uh, outcome afterwards. All of those things together are really where, where the, you know, the gold standard is in, in, in being at the top level of cancer outcome. And it's interesting we're talking to you today because we were only talking about the Irish Cancer Society yesterday in that we have a young lad uh, in the area who is this weekend celebrating one year cancer free and he's doing a, a shave or die event for the Irish Cancer Society and we were celebrating with him how early diagnosis, good treatment and now a year on his life is back on track. Oh, it's fantastic to hear and I suppose we increasingly do hear that and, and people need to recognise that there is tremendous hope, tremendous opportunity in that uh, the Cancer Society purely exists on the basis of donations uh, and on the crazy and amazing fundraising that so many people do up and down the country where we're uh, an organisation that's purely funded um, by uh, donations. So all of that allows us to undertake the work, the research, the services and supports that we provide, the night nurses um, in, in my department, the investments that we make all around the country in world quality um, uh, research uh, to improving outcome for cancer patients. We fund and support on the research side alone uh, over 120, the work of over 120 researchers all across the country focusing in on those areas. So it's really great to hear back and hear the positive stories uh, that people may have yeah. and, and to hear them, you know, contributing um, back into that cycle. It, it, it's great. And with an ageing population though, Robert, can we expect to see the number of cancer cases rise in the coming years? Because it is predominantly uh, a, a disease that affects older people. You're absolutely right, Patricia. And I suppose we know from earlier in the year reports that within the next 25 years, the number of cases of cancer will uh, most likely double. 
Uh, and I guess this is why I'm emphasizing this need for us to work now to um, make an investment to deliver on the promises in the 2017 National Cancer Strategy, which uh, outlines a very good plan um, for really keeping us up at the top. But when, with numbers planned to, to double, um, that's obviously going to put more strain um, so if we don't invest in the resources now, we're simply not going to have enough doc- doctors, nurses and, and uh, you know, places for people um, to be treated by cancer. Many of our clinics in Ireland, while they provide the highest quality of standard of, of care, they're treating twice the number of uh, cancer patients as their equivalent peers. And that puts lots and lots of strain and pressure on, on patients coming in. Uh, on on the the doctors that are providing uh, and trying to provide the best quality of care to them. So we do need to make uh, real investments in this. We need additional um, hospital places. We need all of those other sundry supports. And we also need to come together as a community to make sure that uh, people are aware of all of this information, that they know what they can do themselves, and that we're supporting people, as they say, like like that person that you mentioned yesterday, to have the best possibility of outcome after they go through treatment. Okay. All right. Listen, thank you for that and keep up the great work at the Irish Cancer Society, Robert. And we appreciate you taking time to talk to us. Good morning to you. Uh, Bye bye. That is Dr. Robert O'Connor, who's head of research with the Irish Cancer Society on uh, what is a very welcomed report and study published in the Lancelot Oncology uh, Journal. But while it is good news, cancer survival rates uh, significantly going up, still more to be done. But uh, uh, well done to everybody who's won, won and continues to win that battle against cancer. 1850-333-103 Can I just on the needles issue for a sec because I saw a couple of people offering words of advice this is for Mary's daughter who needs to get a, a HPV vaccination next week and the young girl literally petrified of needles Mary's looking for how can she calm her down and the anxiety levels she said have gone through the roof and she's back at school trying to study while worrying about having to have have this uh, injection uh, Nora in Mallow um, says that she could go to the GP don't have it done in a school setting yeah that was the point I was uh, making and uh, she said the advantage there would be if you go into your local health centre into your GP the parent would be a present and that might help but I'm assuming you know I'm I'm open to correction from Mary, but I'm assuming Mary's going to go with her because the daughter is so obviously freaked out and petrified of getting this injection. Sandy says, the nurse told me to take a sharp, long breath through my nose. So for some reason, it distracts the pain of the jab of the needle, says Sandy. There's one worth trying. So a long, sharp, deep into your nose as the injection has been given and it distracts. I actually remember getting an injection once and the nurse said, cough. Just, just cough for me there. And I did. I did. And <laughs> it must work on the same principle. You completely distract it and I didn't even feel the injection uh, going in. And Ellen said, on the injection for that young girl, support one hand with the other. Support one hand with the other. Look away. Take a deep breath all at the same time. Uh, and Ellen says, with time, she will get over the fear. I did, said Ellen. So obviously Ellen was one of the one of those people. OK, so support one hand over the other. So but one hand's OK, your arm, you're going, she's obviously going to get into her arm. Hold the other hand so you hold it tight and against her, I suppose, so that you don't, you certainly don't want the young girl moving as they're about to do it. And then the same advice that we got from Sandy, the breathe in, good deep breath and looking away at all times and then it'll all be over. And uh, please God. And of course, the more 
if she has a good experience getting this that will help on that journey of getting over the fear but it is a real fear and I accept that and I don't in any way take or diminish from it because a phobia is a phobia and it's 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 very very difficult and people are frightened of all different kinds of things and have phobias that really make somebody terrified and can really raise anxiety levels so I very much appreciate and feel for what that young girl is going through anybody else with advice get it in 1850 333 103 the McCroom Food Festival that's running from September 19th through to the 22nd reminding you that Cork today will be in the Castle Hotel in McCroom on Friday the 20th the day after it begins broadcasting live from 10am but all this week we're giving away full-on gift packs which contain new limited edition jams, marmalades and relishes playing an audio clip from a chef today's chef is Never Maguire and we've bleeped out one of the ingredients Now I'm keeping the skin on because I love to cook fish with the skin on because it holds it together. So we're going to season this and we're going to just very quickly pan fry it. A pinch of on the fish Okay, don't call us on that. I'm just playing it so that you'll be uh, familiar with it when we open the phone lines in the next hour. We'll let you know how you can call in and uh, win today's prize of that gift pack from Folons with the jams and the marmalades and the relishes. And of course, tomorrow, the last day of this competition, it's an a night away for two people in the Castle Hotel in McCroom along with dinner and taste trail tickets that you'll be able to use during the McCroom Food uh, Festival September 19th to 22nd. The Breakfast Show in Cork that's paid out thousands of euro on celebrity seas Are you serious? Oh my God. (laughs) Is here weekdays 6 to 10. Get the latest news for Cork Brilliant music, huge cash giveaways and everything you need to start off your day. I love the show, Simon. Click the kettle on, pour yourself a hot cuppa and join me from 6am weekdays. C103. This is the Court Today replay on C103. And joining us for this week's uh, Garda File is Garda Lisa Harrington, who is based in Kinsale Garda Station. Uh, good morning to you, Lisa. Good morning, Patricia. You're very welcome to the programme. And we start with a burglary that happened in Kinsale at the uh, last week, the 3rd, 4th of September. That's right. The 3rd of the 4th of September, which was last Tuesday evening, um, occurred overnight, so into Wednesday morning. And this was a premises that was broken into. Um, It's a house in the proximity of Kinsale Town. And we're just asking that if anyone saw anyone or anything suspicious, in or around the town area um, on that night just to notify Gardaí here in Kinsale. Okay, and then move to the GA pitch in, in Bally Desmond. Now, I always hate to hear when there's any vandalism or any yeah. kind of damage done and that's what happened. There was damage yeah, to the pitch. That's correct, yeah. This occurred, um, now this is a wider date between the 29th of August and reported to Gardaí there on the 3rd of September and um, a secure gate there at that pitch was interfered with and a vehicle got in and got onto the pitch and caused damage to the pitch there. Um, so anyone who might have anything to assist Gardaí with their investigation, we just ask them to contact the local Gardaí there. Somebody must have hopefully saw something. Yeah, even yeah. if it's to narrow down the time, if they'd seen the pitch or seen the gate open. Crazy, absolutely crazy. And and so many people get affected by that and so many young yeah, children going training. Yeah. It's, and it's all done. You know, all, yeah, and it's voluntary. All the money that goes into those GA pitches is all raised locally. Absolutely. It's, just, it's a mindless, mindless Yeah, time. it's just shocking. OK, let's go to a theft of home heating oil because we're coming into that season now where the heating's going on. Absolutely, it's, yeah. Coming into that time of year and another theft here. We've definitely spoke about this before, but heating oil taken in the culinary of Mill Street 
um, occurred on the 4th or the 5th of September um, and a, a full tank of oil emptied um, from outside the house. If anyone has any information on that, we'd ask them to contact Guardian Mill Street. We'd also, again, be um, advising people. Um, the advice from the Crime Prevention Office is not to fill the tanks, to half fill them. At least if there's fuel taken, it's not a full tank. Okay. And, and adding a, a padlock to the, to the cap on the tank is a great deterrent. Just make it as hard as Absolutely. possible yeah, for them. You know, if the tank is visible from the road, you know, try and make it um, as less visible as possible. Shrubbery and things like that, that can hide Yeah, block it. it. Yeah, block absolutely. it off, yeah. And there was also fuel taken from a park lorry. Now, we haven't, this is like somebody siphoning it out. We haven't heard of this in quite some yeah, time. Yeah, th- there's actually two instances of this. So, I mean, it, it's probably important to put this out, and in particular to haulage companies. Um, so one incident was in Crookstown, where um, a work vehicle, a lorry, was parked up overnight, and there was nearly 200 litres taken from that from that tank. And a similar incident on the same date in Kilbritton, um, diesel siphoned from another, another lorry. Um, like the caps on these lorries are very easily removed and cracked to siphon fuel. And again, the advice from our crime prevention office is um, for haulage companies, the number one deterrent is a secure yard. Sensor lighting and CCTV footage, it's just, these are very, very easy kind of things to, to act as a deterrent. And 200 euro worth, of course, they're very big tanks. They are, yeah, absolutely, yeah. So, I mean... It's a lot of money. Yeah, so then it's, it is important. And it, there's other devices. You, you can get an anti-theft metal tank locking cap, mm-hmm. which, which can go onto the, the caps of the lorries. And, and there is also anti-siphoning devices that can be used. Now, you want to issue some warning about... Is this a cash swapping scam? Absolutely, yeah. Explain how this works. Yeah. So, um... This is basically where a customer will confuse a cashier so they would end up pocketing more cash. So this incident, actually, an incident similar to this happened in Kinsale um, last week. So in Kinsale, the scammer asked to change money. Money was handed over and then they changed their mind, confused the cashier and they ended up, um, the cashier ended up down money. So, you know, I suppose just for, for cashiers, we would just say that to, not to get flustered, to take their time when dealing with these things, you know, take as long as you need. And I know um, certain supermarkets will direct these people to a customer service desk for people that have more time to deal with the person. Yes, if someone is dealing a large or trying to change a large amount of cash, um, you know, take your time. It should kind of be an alarm bell there and then. So like it's somebody going in with a 100 euro saying, can I have that in fives or tens, is it? And then Absolutely, yeah. And then they're, they're changing their mind. They're handing back less cash oh, and yeah. they're changing it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay, you know, just... any staff that are suspicious of any transaction should just ask for another staff member to, to stand with them while they're carrying out that transaction. And speak to younger people. Absolutely. staff members because these criminals will target they will target exactly. they'll see somebody who they think new to the game they, you know they've only started here they're very here. mindful they're at this a long time and they know who to talk to yeah yeah okay now we want to offer words of advice schools have opened and so have college that's correct yeah so new year in particular talking about students going back to college so I mean it's a totally new environment for many first year students um, and this will take a good bit of time for them to adjust to the new environment so I suppose a lot of these young adults, as we'll call them, are very, very sensible, mature. Um, but Freshers Week is running this week and yeah. people are surrounded by new friends. They're in a new area and Freshers Week does include socialising and drinking and so on. So the first thing we just wanted to, to mention was, you know, asking students and, and people not to engage in heavy drinking, you know, to obviously go and enjoy themselves but without all the alcohol. 
you know, it's a whole new environment, students, and they need to be very mindful and careful in new surroundings. Um, to, you know, to mind your property, and, and you certainly can't do this after lots of alcohol. And they're away from home for the first time. Absolutely, absolutely. The first years are. so. Just, and it's about looking out for each other. Absolutely, yeah. Um, like we would say maybe just to, to always be telling people where you are. You know, before you're going someplace on your own, to tell your friends, your family where you are, and uh, an expected returning time, you know. Planning is key to having a, a kind of a good night out, you know, arranging transport to and from events. And, you know, we would strongly advise against anyone walking alone at night. And we unfortunately have seen uh, deaths from drugs. Yeah, yeah, we'd have to mention this, I guess. And we, Gardaí, are very aware that there is a rise in young people taking drugs, be it cocaine or cannabis. Um, But students really need to stay away from these environments. And, you know, if they are in these situations, they need to leave. You know, one factor, I suppose, responsible for, for high rates of drug use among college students is surrounded by other people and and other people experimenting. And people need to be aware that these drugs can have absolutely anything in them in any concentration. Like, you know, not to accept any substances from any people you've only just met or strangers because you just don't know. Yeah, and it's peer pressure. So just get out of the situation. Exactly that, yeah. Just to leave. Yeah, just just, go home, stick and have your few drinks and just uh, head away and have a good night out and enjoy Freshers Week. And that's what it's all about. It's it's all part of the learning curve of life, going to college and, you know, getting involved. We're not trying to be killjoys, but we just want people to to look after themselves. Yeah, as we say, you know, they're in new new environments and, and, you know, just to be very mindful of that, you know, just starting off in in their first year in colleges. Okay, and you've got a guard the campaign. I, I'm assuming a more the boys than the girls, but yeah. use your brain, not your fist. Yeah, this is actually targeted at, at males, um, and it's a public safety campaign by Angarda Shikona. It just aims to reduce the number of assaults carried out by males, younger males between 18 and 39. Um, and it just appeals to young males to think of consequences for themselves and for the others involved in assaults. Um, so, like, there's lots of information on this campaign on our official Garda website. And um, one of the main pictures on the website, it has a young male, a picture with the slogan, I hit him. And it just continues on with information about the consequences for young men for assaulting another person, how they could, you know, lose their job. It can affect their college courses, their ability to travel and, and even jail sentences, you know. And it reminds people of also like the potentially devastating physical and mental impacts on their victims as well. Yeah, and God knows those. We there's been a lot of highlighting around that one punch. The one punch, and yeah. you know, somebody who went out just to have a good night out. Yeah. Something got out of control. Somebody lashes out. Mm-hmm. Never intended yeah. to injure somebody, and, and devastating. I mean, yeah. people have died or been left with life altering. Yeah, these assaults are very avoidable. You know, like people should never try a reason with a drunk or aggressive person. Yeah. You know, you just need to walk away and, and ask for help. Okay, and very finally, advice on accommodation. Yeah, and I, I'm sure most people have probably secured accommodation for colleges now, but for those people who haven't, we would just advise to be very vigilant um, when it comes to your accommodation, not to hand over any deposits till you have seen rooms or houses and to meet your landlord if you're in a private accommodation. Unfortunately, not everyone who's advertising available accommodation is honest, and students are in particular, in particular are being targeted. Um, and just for students as well, just to, it's important to just say that, you know, to be respectful in your accommodation and to your neighbours, you know, um, I know students have responsibilities as do landlords.
Okay, and of course, if anybody runs into any problems, thresholder are great when Absolutely. it comes to yeah. uh, to helping people out. Oh two one four two seven eight eight four eight. Oh two one four two seven four four eight eight. Lisa, we leave it there. Thank you for that. Thank you, Patricia. Have a great week, you and uh, we'll you. talk again. That is Garda Lisa Harrington, who's based in Kinsale Garda Station. I was talking about the fallen and the dead animals, and that farmers now have a problem in that the knackeries are all gone on strike uh, all over the country. So if you've a fallen animal, no point ringing there's nobody to come and uh, collect them and when I was explaining what the knackery was it's animals that have died on farms or animals that are alive but unwell and unfit for human consumption they're sent to the knackery Donald said so is that where the phrase only fit for the knacker's yard comes from and obviously it is yeah because the animals are either on their last legs or are already gone they're dead. So yeah, obviously where the phrase comes from. 1850 If you've got a pet question can you get it in please? Jane, our resident vet will join us in the next hour and we will also have another winner for Amarcoom Food Festival. We'll do all that afternoons at 12. The C103 Cork Diary is a free service to help non-profit organisations all over Cork. So if you're a community group or a charity that's holding a fundraising event or meeting, send us the details at least one week in advance and we'll tell Cork all about it. Email info at c103.ie The Cork Diary With Cork County Council Supporting businesses, supporting communities Serving Cork Visit corkcoco.ie C103 You're listening to Cork Today on Replay Phone and text lines are currently closed Time for us to give away a prize. We're doing it by phones today. 1850 333 103. Uh, a full on gift pack with limited edition jams, marmalades, and relishes. Now, I'm keeping the skin on because I love to cook fish with the skin on because it holds it together. So, we're going to season this and we're going to just very quickly pan fry it. A pinch of on the fish. Okay, Nevin is pan frying his fish. What's the missing ingredient? What is he adding to his pan-fried fish? We will take caller 10 to get through to John Paul. 1850 333 103. Caller 10 to get through with the correct answer will win the Fuelon gift pack with new limited editions, jams, marmalades and uh, relishes if you know what Nevin is missing. Now I'm keeping the skin on because I love to cook fish with the skin on because it holds it together. So we're going to season this and we're going to just very quickly pan fry it. Pinch of on we the have, fish. We haven't had Nevin on the programme in quite some time. I always love talking to him. He's, he's uh, such a nice, nice man as well. Anyway, your chance to win. Get dialing on that. 1850-333-103. Reminding you that the McCroom Food Festival starts on September 19th and runs through until the 22nd. Let me take a look at some of your calls coming in to the programme and texts. Let's take a look at the texts. Hi Trish, for that young girl, this is Mary's daughter, who is scared of needles. There is a gel called Amtop. A-M-E-T-O-P. It's a gel. It kind of numbs the area when you apply it to the part of the body where the needle is going to be inserted. You can get it in a chemist. Hope this will help. Best of luck to her. And I had been unaware of it. I do remember when Marcia first came to live with us and bless her little heart, she was the tiniest little thing and she was in and out of hospital and having tests done when they were trying to find out why she was so underweight and all of that. And we used to get something in the hospital that they referred to as magic cream and used to put it on and used to be covered with almost like 
almost like cling film and it would deaden the area. So I'm thinking, I was thinking, oh, it must be something like that. I was unaware that there's a product like that that you can buy in the chemist. So I did a quick Google search of Ametop, A-M-E-T-O-P. And exactly as our texter says, it numbs the skin. Uh, It's used in an area of skin where needles are inserted into a vein or if you're getting an injection or you need to give a blood uh, sample, it'll numb the area. And you can buy it in a chemist and it retests for about 350. I can see it on sale in one chemist for €3.55, even though if you're in England, it's uh, £1.99. Anyway, about 350, but it's Amtop Gel. And you can buy it at the chemist. So that's certainly another good piece of advice. Thank you for that. And actually, Mum Mary has been back to us. She just wants to say thanks to all of the listeners who've rang in with tips for her daughter with the HPV vaccination. But her question also is, if she takes her daughter to the doctors, which I was assuming she was going to do, to get the HPV she's wondering will she have to pay for it whereas if she goes to the school it's a free vaccination I think the fact it's a free vaccination it's a free vaccination but we'll see has anybody else done that rather than your son or daughter going into the school and queuing up with all the other kids when the nurse comes to give the the HPV or any other vaccination if you opt and I think on very good grounds because her daughter was so nervous if you opt to go to the doctor's would there still be a fee at the doctor's office? Because I take it it's the practice nurse probably at your doctor's office uh, would do it. Anyway, Mary says, thanks for all the calls and the tips, but I'm afraid no matter what we will do or say, she will simply pass out and faint. Uh, so I think taking her myself to the doctor might ease it a little bit. But I'm, my big question now is, do I have to pay for it outside of the school? So uh, we'll see if anybody can can throw some light on that will Mary have to pay or not and I think Mary as well if you pop into the chemist and get that Amtop gel I'll send Mary is contacting us by WhatsApp so I'll be able to reply back to her with the name of the gel I would suggest certainly buy that and bring that in with you that that will help and if you explain that to your daughter and maybe get the gel today and maybe let her put it on her arm so that she sees it that it's numbing it and then just look the other way the needle will be in it'll be done she won't even know that it's happened but if anybody can tell us if Mary opts and I think she she is doing the right thing because you don't want the young girl fainting in front of all of her schoolmates and all of that you know it's that first year it's an awkward enough time nobody wants to be standing out and and being any way different but I think absolutely you need to go with her to the doctor's practice does Mary have to pay if anybody can tell us 1850-333-103 and on the other poor listener who broke our hearts this morning who is after getting her first job started work two weeks well it was her first job but she started work two weeks ago first pay packet was today all excited went to the bank to get the money out to discover that the bank had taken 56 euro out of her account it was a 5 euro maintenance fee every for every month since last September there's obviously been no money in the account as soon as the money went in the bank went oh you owe us that for maintenance fees even though she hasn't used the bank card in as many months and 56 euro was taken and all she's left with is 40 euro and she, she said at the end of her text the bank will never get money from me again I'm going to close down my account somebody suggests to that listener uh, Patricia tell that listener put her money into the credit union they are simply the best they're fast friendly service and your money is accessible six days a week and they don't have any of those crazy banking charges that all the other banks seem to have go with the credit union yeah I've, I'm 
she hasn't said what she's doing or something. She's definitely closing down the account. But of course, whatever bank she goes to, they have to make money is what they'll say. And there's maintenance fees all over the place. There's very few banks now that are offering absolutely, completely free banking. Uh, John then says, thank you more for that. John says, AIB still give out paper statements. You get them for the previous three months. Yeah, most banks do, but they're trying to encourage us all to do it online. That's the point I'm making. And if you don't answer them, you know, they'll send you out a letter saying that they're giving up the paper. Well, this is what happened in my case, that they're giving up paper statements and you had to ring a certain number. And any time I rang the number, I couldn't get through. And I was wondering, was it a bit of a, uh, was it a bit of their way of what you won't get through? And then she would have contacted us. So we'll be able to go online. And I opted to go online then because I decided I was, I, I think it coincided with the time we were doing our some interview about the environment and the waste of paper and it just struck me uh, it is a waste of paper when you can have everything online uh, now but yes if you insist on having paper statements banks absolutely will still give it to you there's a question coming in for Jane can you keep those coming please uh, text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103 you can stop calling us on our competition this is our competition for McCroom Food Festival running from the 19th to the 22nd. Let me play the answer. Now I'm keeping the skin on because I love to cook fish with the skin on because it holds it together. So we're going to season this and we're going to just very quickly pan fry it. A pinch of salt on the fish. Salt was the word that we were uh, looking for and Greta Crowley is our winner today. Congratulations to you uh, Greta. We'll make arrangements to get that uh, Folan's gift pack to you with new limited editions jams, marmalades and uh, relishes and thanks to Folan's we've given away four of those gift packs across this week and they are finger licking good jams, marmalades and relishes. I'm a huge huge fan of uh, relishes so enjoy that Greta. Tomorrow is is our last day of playing this competition and we have an overnight stay for two people tomorrow in the Castle Hotel in McCroom with dinner and a taste trail tickets to give away as well and of course the Castle Hotel in McCroom is going to be the venue on the 20th of September where JP and the C103 Cork Today team will be broadcasting live as part of the McCroom Food Festival running from the 19th through to the uh, 20th. Second, 1850 You can now keep questions coming in for Jane. You can get them in by phone as well as by text and WhatsApp to 0862. 103 103. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council. Supporting businesses, supporting communities, serving Cork. Visit corkcoco.ie. Meals on Wheels in the Middle Parish Division. They deliver meals daily to the elderly and others in need in their community. Now they're based in Cork City but they want to shout out to anyone who might like to use their service to please contact them at 021 4273934. Coffee morning in Sam Kingston's shop in Drina Village. That's on until one o'clock this morning with all proceeds going to Marymount Hospice. Everyone very welcome. Public meetings going to be held in Brook Park Enterprise Centre in Dunmanway tonight at half past seven. It's with a view to starting up Dunmanway Community First Responder Group. Talks on the night from the National Ambulance Service and CRF 
CFR even, uh, Ireland, as well as local paramedics and firefighters. Registration night for Newmarket Furoiga Youth Club. That's taking place tonight, half past seven to half past eight in the CYMS Hall. The cost there is €30 Euro per child or 40 for a family. We spoke with the Irish Blood Transfusion Service. They've got a donor clinic going on in Dunamore Community Centre and that's on this evening between five and half past eight. While Siobhan McInerney will give a floral demonstration in St Multus Hall in Kinsale. That's tonight at eight. And two of Derry Cotter's one-act plays will be performed in the Dan Donovan Theatre, Presentation College Mardike in Cork tonight with all proceeds going to the Little Miss Tessa Trust, supporting 22-month-old Tessa Gary, who, having been diagnosed with stage four cancer, hopes to travel to America for a clinical trial. Bless her heart. Tickets are 10, 12 euro and they're on Eventbrite and also available on the door. And McCroom Flower and Garden Club, they are hosting Helen Cusack of IFA tonight in Cool Car House in McCroom. Her demonstration, Hidden Gems of Autumn, starts at eight and all are very welcome. That's a look at our community diary for today. Now, I want to reference something that came up actually on the programme the other day when we were talking about the All-Ireland Football Final and how the time for the All-Ireland Football Final is on a Saturday evening. I thought it was seven, but I think it's actually at six o'clock it's on. And because of it, priests in the diocese of... Kerry were told by the Bishop if they wanted to change the evening vigil mass on Saturday night to accommodate people who'd want to watch the match at home feel free to do so and many of the different parishes did just that and they're holding masses at various stages I think the earliest we heard it was half four and others are holding it at five o'clock well that led Donal in Glengariff to contact us to say Kerry been brought back um, Kerry Mass time has been brought back to 5pm. Isn't it a case, says Donal, that the Catholic Sabbath begins at 6 o'clock, 1800 hours on the Saturday? So a Mass before that, surely it wouldn't count for your obligation to go to Mass on Sunday. And then Donal from Glengariff adds, or maybe it's all very different in, in Kerry. So I decided I'd look into this and find out when does the Catholic Sabbath start? And is our donor right that you can't have an evening vigil mass unless it's 6pm and afterwards? Lo and behold, and I got this from a Catholic forum to say there is no Catholic Sabbath technically. The Sabbath as celebrated by the Jewish community is on Saturday. But the reason why Sunday masses can be celebrated on Saturday night is because liturgically speaking, it's Sunday. It's all this is also the case for the vigil masses uh, for any other type of event. You can have it on the evening before. It seems that it can be any time after Vespers. So technically on or after 4pm, the church will designate the mass that serves there. And then by doing that, that it serves the Sunday obligation. OK, as I say that, I got that from a Catholic uh, form. So we don't, the, and we do call it the Sabbath, but that's a, it, it's, it's a Jewish Sabbath is celebrated by the Jewish. There actually, I didn't realise there isn't a Catholic Sabbath. So from four o'clock onwards. So the good priests in Kerry are not breaking uh, any rules. However, on the fact that the match is even going ahead on a Saturday night or a Saturday evening at six is causing consternation, particularly in Kerry. Many supporters are furious the fact that the All-Ireland replay has been played so late uh, because for Kerry fans, it's okay for the Dublin fans, but for the Kerry fans, it's a five-hour drive 
for many of the Kerry fans. Now, the GAA Director of Communications, a gentleman by the name of Alan Milton, he confirmed the reason that the final could not be played earlier on Saturday was to suit RTE's broadcasting of the semi-finals of the Greyhound Derby and the Irish Champions Weekend in horse racing. He said, however, the match would have been played on a Saturday evening regardless of RTE broadcasting other sporting events because, he says, following the success of the 2013 hurling final replay. Remember that? Cork and Clare. The GAA's Central Council took the decision to play all future final replays on Saturday evening. The idea was to avoid the need to move either the Camogie final or the ladies football final out of their planned slots at Croke Park which they'd have to do if they wanted to accommodate the replays. Pushing the final back a further eight days to ensure a traditional Sunday afternoon slot they say would have caused further inconvenience and it would have been a longer delay and it would have been unfair to both the Dublin and the Kerry Club uh, Championships. But the big problem seems to be for the Kerry fans uh, many of the fans saying it'll be 4am in the morning before they're at home uh, because particularly if you live down around say Sneem it's a five hour drive after you leave Croke Park and then it's the getting out and the Kerry fans probably would have to hang around to celebrate their win so that'd be a further delay but you know it'll be, it certainly will be the small hours of the morning before most uh, Kerry fans uh, get home um, and they are the ones going to the match they will be the ones that have to get up for Mass then the next morning because they will have missed out on the vigil Mass of the Saturday night 1850-333-103 a reminder to get your pet questions in please for Jane Pickett our resident vet text WhatsApp 0862 103 103. C103 presents County Cork Culture Night, the annual celebration of culture, creativity, and the arts, happening across Cork on Friday, September 20th from 4 till 11 pm. From galleries to historic buildings, readings to exhibitions and films, there's something for everyone to enjoy. And it's all free. Find out more on Facebook and Twitter and see culturenightcorkcounty.ie with Cork County Council and C103. This is the Court Today replay on C103. And to the phone lines we go where Michael in Mallow joins me. Good afternoon to you, Michael. Hi, Patricia. I'm I'm doing well. I'm assuming if you're calling from Mallow, you're calling about traffic. That's right, yeah. (laughs) Have you been around town today? I have. Is it still gridlocked? (laughs) Is it ever anything but... You know, um, like really, you know, um, I drive a van and to have to go through Mallow, you know, on a regular basis, like it's it's at a stage now where, you know, uh, well, it's an absolute joke. It's a disgrace. And I'm just wondering, how is it that you can't get somebody from the town council or whoever deals with this to get on the radio and explain to people, um, the stupidity of that skateboarding facility that they have built down there at the bottom of the town near the clock house. The plaza. Um, yeah, if that's what you want to call it. Well, yeah, well I'll tell, tell you straight away how it gets explained away. How it was built, yes. it was like a gift from the last town council in Mallow. Before they went, the last act was they built the plaza. That town council obviously no longer exists. Yeah, I wish they put their name up on a plaque so we'd all know, like, you know, who is responsible for that fiasco. Um, like, 
perspective of whether they put it in there and at whatever cost, one point something million. Like, it would have been more in their line to have put in CCTV cameras, uh, you know, around the town. Like, the current crowd that are there now as well, they're putting up, you know, boxes of Lego on the roundabouts, Mallow, that you can't see anyway. They were ridiculously stupid and cheap-looking at the beginning. You know, um, if you drive into Mallow, like any tourist that drives into Mallow, be it the old Cork Road, be it from the Formoy side, like, would, would they not consider, instead of putting up flower pots and Lego pieces, that they would fill the holes that you, you know, that you, you nearly break the suspensions on your van when you're driving in? Well, the, know, the, the, Le- the Lego bricks that you're talking about, that's the spelling out of the word Mallow. I think at the time the thought pattern was that it's kind of based on what, what they have in, in Amsterdam. Now, we know the horses had to be removed and once they got removed, they couldn't put them back because they're too high to meet the new legislation that's in place. So that's the reason the horses uh, couldn't, uh, couldn't go by. But that's deemed artwork. Uh, well, Michael, you, are you just are you not appreciating anyway with the, with, the, with the landscaping? So, um, if, and, and if that's deemed artwork, well, look, we leave that in. Uh, but look, I'm not interested in that. What I really would like to know is if the town council are responsible for the management of the traffic in the town, and this is how they manage the traffic in the town. Can they come on and justify the reasons for it, or is it possible to have these people removed because they're doing absolutely nothing but Speak into for your 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 phone is just breaking up a little bit. It's a major, Sorry, yeah. it's yeah, it's a major commuter town, um, and, it's and what's yeah, and particularly with the work going on on Mallow Bridge, I'm the, sure they'll use the that round, speech, but but, but the roundabout, well I know, but it got excessively worse. I mean, it it should improve today with the with the bridge reopened. But I'm now looking. I'm just sitting here looking on on the Google Maps, which is the live stream of it, and there the traffic is backed the whole way up. What appears to be right up St Joseph's Road. That's right. And listen, the bridge, the the bridge will have absolutely no impact at all. Uh, on the uh, traffic management at the bottom of the town because the lights at the bridge, when they go red, all the traffic that's coming in from Formoy backs up there as far as the clock house. And because of that fiasco at the bottom of the town, anybody that wants to go right blocks everybody that wants to go left. I did it this like, morning. I did it this morning and I was yeah. conscious that the car behind me wanted to go out the Formoy Road. I couldn't go anywhere. Uh, and I was coming back over the bridge and, and they all got stuck behind me because I couldn't move because there was a truck had gone into so, the yellow box and blocked it up. And here's the thing. The whole town, everybody that travels through the town, a, a five-year-old knows that it is not working, that it is that it will never work, that, it is, that that piece down there has to be removed. So I really would love the council to come on and explain why they can't move it. Now, let's be clear on this. If they talk costs, I know people that will provide bulldozers and lorries <laughs> tomorrow morning to take that thing and, out of there. And do it for them. Okay. All right. Okay. All right. I mean, we have we have discussed it in the past, and I know Garold, um, um Garold Murphy, who is the uh, councillor in town. He he. One of the things when he got elected was he was trying to have the plaza uh, removed and put it back into two lanes of traffic. I don't know how he got on with it, but we'll 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 follow up on it again because you're not yes, the first. Please. You won't be the last. Uh, and anyone I should who, be the last. Uh, well, you know, this is the thing. This is it's 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 beyond belief. That a town will allow something like this. It really is. 
Okay. like Mallow. Anyway, thank you. Patricia, All right, listen, point. thanks for that. And sometimes it's good just to let off steam. That's Michael in Mallow, who, along with so many other people, if we were to run a poll to say who would like the plaza removed in Mallow, I could t- predict, I could tell you now what the result would be. And it's strange because normally, you know, the very idea of having a plaza in a town, it sounds lovely. And isn't it great? We'll have a plaza and we'll all sit there and maybe have a picnic or maybe sit out there with our lattes and chat with people. And, you know, and I'm sure the initial concept, that was the idea behind it. But I think it's just where it is at the bottom of the town and it's just creating further traffic gridlock and as somebody said to me one day when I was saying but could you ever imagine yourself having you know sitting there having your coffee chatting with your friends you know meeting people because when you go on the continent and you go to areas where there's plazas it's, it has a tendency to be a meeting place if you want to meet somebody say oh, I'll meet you on the plaza and we'll have coffees but certainly in Mallow you won't do that because somebody said you get smothered in the fumes of the cars because there's so many cars backed up around it that there's no way you'd sit there comfortably and drink your coffees 1850 the plaza has to go and I can see already uh, Michael having raised this issue people saying the same thing John and Mallow said they need to cut the plaza in half make a slip road up to the spa and out onto the Formoy uh, road and then those coming in from the Formoy side and going around the clock house and then keep going and blocking all the traffic all they need is one or two lorries and everything gets blocked up yeah that's exactly what has happened and continues to happen. 1850-333-103. We're going to take a break and we are back with Jane Pickett from the Islandwood Veterinary Hospital, part of the Mill Street Veterinary Group, answering all of your pet questions. Flora Gelga, RC103. Rugged Jacob Stockdale, Erin Shrew Law Debron, Nadig Nokashe, in Ardvaka. Hussig Shaig Imert Rugger, Agase Anna O. Drastel Shea Er Ardskull Devalish. Agus Brunach Gradam Imrahorna Blina er Nina Guna. Dimmer Shimur Klihani er Erin Nahir in Fuifeha. Agus Husig Shaig Imrit Lakuga Ulla Agus Afos Navelina Degdish. Tuguk on Lassanum Stocky Jockey er Tisk Avek Kohard Agus Kolordershin. Bernik A er Fanil Naharin, De Hrossar Govil Sashakti Agus Anam Nik A. Mar lake na himraha in Aigon Argentine. Ta shocked ud aimshaha e Jacob Stockdale, e grave na she nashun gavilas octig, gashka e nachvil dainteg ein imra or ella, e sterna grave. Is imhor untuk e agus inspira de guina oga e. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well. HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello HelloFresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 
Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Le bluer guelga is mission mali ni gul o guel skol hamastavishmala. Sikade asa three kirkig. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. For the best weekend sports coverage in Cork, it's got to be C103. I'll bring you updates on cross-channel soccer racing, anything else that happens in the world of sports. Rory Burke kicks off your weekend with a comprehensive Saturday sports preview from 11am. Mark Malone keeps the ball rolling with Cork Sports Saturday from 2. Then Cork Sports Sunday completes your weekend between 2 and 7pm. Callahan racing through from the puck out, going for a goal opportunity. He's got it! Every puck, every kick, every score, every weekend. Let me tell you what's happening sporting-wise this weekend here on C103. For sport in Cork, it's got to be C103. Stay in touch with what's happening in Cork. C103. Cork today on C103. Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment. 0862103103. And we, we, the minute you mentioned the plaza in Mallow and getting rid of the plaza in Mallow, uh, we really are getting a, a, a flood of uh, calls and texts uh, coming in. Hi, Patricia. Tom here as a truck driver travelling through Mallow regularly. Absolutely agree. The plaza is a big problem. Uh, but also the lights that let you turn down for the Church of the Resurrection when you go over the bridge, because it brings all of the back traffic behind you to a standstill if you can't turn, the knock on is it goes right back to the plaza. The right turn should either be removed or else leave the lights green for right of way longer than what happens at the moment. That is a light sequencing issue that a number of people have pointed out needs to be uh, looked at. Tim says, oh Patricia, that plaza just has to go. Someone else says, as a result of the traffic situation, similar to what you're talking about on the programme today, I simply don't go to Mallow anymore, uh, which is uh, a real disappointment for people who are trying to do business in Mallow and a couple of other people saying pretty much the same thing. And just one final one. A high line dancing is on tonight, half past seven, Clondrahat Hall. Everybody is welcome. And the message is, come on and get your dancing boots uh, moving. Um, uh, each, or I was going to say eat it's Jane Pickett, our resident vet, uh, joins me. Uh, good afternoon to you, Jane. Did you get t- caught in Hi traffic? There. You know what? No, no. I was caught with an emergency. It's oh, the nat- you? nature of the vet in the game, I'm afraid. She literally ran, and I, I saw her on the camera. She literally legged it into the building. And is everything okay? Everything's absolutely that's, perfect. That's good. Yeah. Okay, let's get straight into questions because there's a lot of questions coming in, including one that I saw from somebody who said they're at their wits end and that always makes me worried. It's then Mallow it's actually on behalf of a friend of hers she's at my wits end over my friend she lives alone and last year she got herself a little Jack Russell cross type dog everything was grand until the next door neighbour's dog attacked 
a little Jack oh. Russell. To make a long story short, my friend's dog now is what I can only describe as uncontrollable when we're out for a walk. The minute she spots another dog, she's terrified, she goes mad, she's trying to get off the lead. My problem is, my friend is a little bit unstable on her feet and I'm actually afraid that even though it's only a little Jack Russell, that she could end knocking her over. Uh, would you suggest another dog might mm. help? That's really, really hard. I My heart goes out to the poor poor owner who's in this situation and maybe a little bit unsteady on her feet and having a dog pulling. It's, it's, it's uncomfortable at the best of times, even when you're very solid on your feet to have a dog pulling around. But also the little dog, I'd say... The poor fella's probably just had a, a terribly frightening experience. It's a she. Oh, it's Susie. Ah, Susie, perfect. Susie's probably just had a terribly frightening experience. And now whenever she sees a dog, she's reminded of us, of, of that happening. And she, she's what we call nervous aggressive. Um, okay. So she's probably getting really, really terrified. And, and dogs kind of have a fight or flight response. And when they're not given the flight option because they're on a lead out on a walk, they, they do the fight option and most of the time it will just be, you know, woofing and snarling and growling. And, and particularly the type of dog that it is, a Jack Russell, yeah. they think they're bigger than what they really yeah, are as they, well. they do. They have yeah. small dog syndrome, definitely. They like to think that they're a massive Rottweiler or something like that. I think really it will take time and patience to overcome this, but it's definitely overcomable. Um, okay. There's two things I would do. First and foremost, as an interim measure, I would get yourself, they're almost made of bungee cord or they almost have little springs on them. If you pop to your local your local vet, I know we have some ourselves, but um, the pet shop as well, they have almost like a little insert in them so they can shock absorb some of the pulling that your dog might be doing during these episodes. Okay. So it'll just kind of, it'll maybe be a little bit easier for her to hold onto the lead and not have as much jerking from Susie. So as an interim measure, and what's that will, it called? I they don't really have a name. Some of them are they're kind of like bungee cord. They okay. have like a little elasticated insert in them, so it just shock absorbs a little yeah, bit. They so won't be able to run off. Exactly. Yeah, she'll be able to run well, off, yeah. it, it'll just kind of she'll ease pull. the jerking motions. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. As an interim measure, I would suggest that. But long term, really, it's going to require a little bit of work with Susie to get her to overcome the fear and listen to her owner when she's out on walks a little bit more and to feel more secure. I really think you probably need to get a dog trainer involved or a behaviourist um, because it's quite a traumatic experience for a little dog being attacked by another dog that they previously might have thought was fine. Um, it's very much like ourselves. If we went out to the street and that had happened, we'd probably be looking around very, yeah, very worried. I'm wondering, could she find, if she, I wonder if there are any other friends who have dogs, you know, quieter mm. dogs. Get her used to have another it dog. It could help. And I yeah. think certainly under the guidance of a behaviourist or a dog trainer, they may well suggest that. But I think it might just require some some gentle training and very, very small baby steps to getting to the point of going to, let's say, a, a normal park walk again. If there's any more isolated but safe for you walks that you can go on that you think are less populated with dogs, mm. sometimes avoidance a full resolution of the problem is, is the best thing. Just okay. know where the stress level's for you and Susie. Ah, it's tough going. Okay, good luck with that, Breatha. And uh, somebody who signs himself desperate pet owner in Newmarket. Hi, Trish and Jane. I need to spay my cat, but she keeps getting pregnant about six weeks after having the previous set of kittens. Mm, this is really common and super frustrating and my heart goes out to you because you're, you're trying to do the right thing getting her mm. spayed. It's really challenging. So they can become pregnant incredibly quickly after they give birth. Um, and a lot of the time if they have kittens on them so they're nursing the kittens yeah. um, at that point it's not the best point to be doing surgery for them because they're still nursing the kittens and the last thing we want to be doing is is spaying them and then having a let's say a surgical wound near, near where the kittens will be nursing because normally it's just down the belly okay now I think you're just going to have to be really really watchful um, and speak to your local vet about arranging a, a time that you think will be likely. You want to get them when they're probably between 
five to seven weeks. So after they've, let's say, nursed this lot of kittens and they're beginning to wean themselves, that would be the ideal time. Get her um, in. So the kittens have a little bit of independence, get the mum straight in and do it then. I think it's, it's I, really I, quite difficult. I remember difficult. one of my cats many years ago like that and I was very vigilant. There was, she'd, she uh, she had had, mm-hmm. it was a, a, a feral cat. She'd had one kitten when I found her. Mm-hmm. And then I said, right, that's it, I'm getting her neutered. So I took her down to get her neutered and she was already pregnant, but yeah. which we didn't realise. But they were very, mm-hmm. but they were taken away with the operation. I know mm-hmm. not ideal, but it was. And not ideal. It's yeah. best to avoid it. But I suppose one has to think about the vast population of cats and kittens that we have in this country. It's yeah. absolutely explosive. Um, I remember reading a figure once that is it one unspayed female can result in, let's say, 10 generations later, something like 150,000 or 200,000 yeah. cats. It's an absolutely astonishing amount. That's why we get amount. areas that are full of feral cats. Absolutely. So I really think in the grand scheme of things, we have enough cats in this country. Yeah, we do indeed. Um, so if we can limit, ideally by spaying, spaying and neutering these cats, it's the way to go. Um, is the best thing okay, to do. Okay, uh, Anne says, Hi Jane, I have a 12-week-old golden retrieve, retriever. When can I take her for a three-mile walk and how do I toilet train her? Ah, oh well, this is very exciting time. 12-week-old Labradors are absolutely beautiful. So I would say, work up slowly to a three-mile walk. If you imagine, I think the best way of thinking about it is what would you take a toddler on? So would you take a toddler for a three mile walk? Mm. Probably not. Yeah, it's a bit long. <laughs> it's a little bit long. You'd you'd work up to it. I think shorter walks um, and not particularly strenuous walks are best for growing pups. Because if you think about it, they're forming their skeleton at that point. And we certainly don't want a lot of impact on that skeleton because it can cause problems and it can cause wear and tear on on very young joints and it's a big enough dog exactly I would say I would leave the three mile walks maybe until we're a little bit older maybe six seven months maybe even plus that depending on her fitness levels Um, I I would be a little bit more restrained at this point and certainly at 12 weeks of age we're probably only just getting used to the lead just getting used to walking it might be a little bit much much for them even emotionally to be out for that long Um, it's a whole new world out there and of course you don't go go out until the injections Exactly. So I, I assume a 12, 12 weeks speaking yeah. to this owner that it's it's probably had its full course of primary vaccinations. So it your can vet, go out now. Yeah, your vet will be able to guide you as to at what point they feel they're comfortable after the second vaccination for that pet to go outside in various Okay, but hold off on the three mile walk. Toilet training? Toilet training. The best thing is give them as many options, um, as many chances as you can to do things right. So take them out to the garden way more than you think they'll need to go out. Um, because then at least they have the option and that'll reduce the amount of times they get desperate and you might not pick up on their I need to pee signals um, and they have a little accident inside. So give them ample opportunity to do the right thing outside. Plenty of fuss, plenty of reward. They're the best dog ever when they do their business outside. A little treat afterwards. And also just extend the little walk outside after they've done their pees and poos for a half a minute, a minute, so that they don't think that them doing their business signals the end of all of the fun. Yeah, that's that's a good piece of advice. Okay, hi, uh, Jane. My cat has arthritis. What can I give him? Thanking Mm. you. This is a really common problem, particularly in cats, because we see a lot of, let's say, older teenage cats. um, And they're they're fabulous little creatures, very old and wise, but sometimes they do get creaky joints. I think a visit to your vet is in order. Some of the main signs that we see in cats that are becoming a little bit stiffer, mainly a reluctance to jump initially, and then later Mm. on a bit more of a stiff and painful gait or difficulty standing up and sitting down. It's kind of like ourselves if we have creaky joints. I think visit your vet. They'll be able to guide you. 
there are a number of let's say pain relief anti-inflammatory medications on the market that may may be suitable for your pet but your vet will be able to guide you as and to they that. do work yeah absolutely i see a lot of pets that they almost become like puppies after they've started their course of of let's say anti-inflammatory because it gives them such relief it really improves their quality of life so i think it's definitely worth investigating with your vet and if your vet feels that that is appropriate and would let's say improve your little cat's quality of life and ability to jump and bound around the same as she always did then um then i'm sure that would be something that would be possible okay and eight uh, i have a terrier dog this is una great form uh, is eating but seems to be losing weight and does seem to be sleeping more he's tired more eight-year-old okay. neutered male should i be worried in short, I wouldn't say worried, just mildly concerned. I okay. would say it's something to keep an eye on. If we're eating normally and losing weight, very much like in people, that's that's never never a great sign. Alarm bells. It could just be a change in activity relative to diet. If we've become a lot more active recently and the diet hasn't changed, but it sounds like we're becoming a little bit more lethargic as well. So that, that's concerning. I would visit your vet for a full health check. They may even suggest some bloods um, just to see see what the inner workings of the body are doing at that point in time. But I think an eight-year-old isn't old. Not no, for, for we, a terrier. We were a terrier. Yeah. Not particularly old for a terrier. I normally see them into their teens a lot of the time. Yeah. Um, so no, we're we're getting into our more senior years. Let's put it like yeah. that. We're not over the hill just yet. Okay. <laughs> All right. But so don't don't panic yet. But don't. I I would I would react. seek some help. Okay. Yeah. All right. We will leave it there. Thank you for that, Jane. Have Thank a lovely you. week, and we'll chat again next week. That is Jane Pickett from the Islandwood Veterinary Hospital in Newmarket, which is part of the Mill Street Veterinary Group. Back with us next uh, Thursday. Still getting calls in about Mallow traffic, and in particular. The the lights sequencing seems to be the big one at the moment that people are complaining about. Aoife in Mallow has been on to say the light sequencing needs to be, certainly needs to be looked at. Only two cars can be left to turn onto the park road if you're coming from the spa and that therefore then causes more cars to back up behind it and unless they get the sequencing of the lights right, uh, the delays are going to continue whether you remove the plaza or not and a couple of other people are saying Patricia start the campaign to get the plaza dug up please we'll just see I know it got suggested by Councillor Gorold Murphy it was one of his one of certainly one of the issues that he spoke about in the run up to the local election so we'll get on to Gorold and just see has anything more been mentioned about that but I have to leave it there for today my thanks to John Paul McNamara for producing Nick Richards is with you for the afternoon and we're back with you tomorrow morning for the last one of the week and it's also the final day for our McCroom Food Festival competition so we'll talk to you tomorrow morning at 10 on to the line Patricia Messenger a very good afternoon C103 Anthems Mornings from 9 and evenings at 7. Cork's greatest hits. C103. C103 presents the McCroom Food Festival from September 19th to 22nd. Enjoy comedy capers at the Castle Hotel Thursday night. Take a tour of McCroom Buffalo Farm Friday morning. There's a tea time swing dance on Friday night. Don't miss the Kids Zone, the McCroom Taste Trail, a busking competition, and live music by Hot Guitars. Sunday sees the Monster Outdoor Market, Kids Fun and Entertainment. The McCroom Food Festival, September 19th to 22nd. With C103. 
C103 presents County Cork Culture Night, the annual celebration of culture, creativity and the arts, happening across Cork on Friday, September 20th from 4 till 11pm. From galleries to historic buildings, readings to exhibitions and films, there's something for everyone to enjoy. And it's all free. Find out more on Facebook and Twitter and see culturenightcorkcounty.ie with Cork County Council and C103. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.